following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. hours. That was how long we didn't have power last week, which seems like three years ago. But last week, Monday morning, we rolled those blackouts at our house through the morning, but then about 8 a.m., and I remember because Matt texted me and he said, well, we don't have power anymore. And I was like, Okay, I had been up and down all night as a first-time homeowner, knowing that one of my pipes was going to burst and the whole house was going to just fall down, right? One pipe was going to burst, it was just all going to tip over. That's how I felt. So I was up and down, in and out of bed all night, checking to make sure faucets were dripping, looking to make sure everything was how I said it, so I knew there was some rolling blackouts happening because I would wake up and there'd be power. I'd wake up and there wasn't. But 8 a.m. Monday morning last week, we lost it for good. In our neighborhood, we came to find out something else had happened, not just the blackouts, but some substation had been hit by some kind of damage. And so our neighborhood, which is just off of Interloop, kind of was on its own on an island because then Matt would randomly text me and go, we got power back. And I'd be like, great for you. But for us, it was Monday at 8 a.m. till about 11.15-ish on Thursday, which is when one of my neighbors texted me because we had driven Tuesday night over to my in-laws who had power and a fireplace who put up with the two of us and the dog for a couple of nights. But I think it's interesting that as you look at people, a lot of people are, are putting the hours on it, right? They're looking and saying, yeah, I lost power or water. And then they give you hours. Because I could have said, we lost power for a little over three days. And that sounds good. But you know what sounds better? 75 hours. Because if you do the math, 75 is more than three. But it's been interesting watching people talk about it and go to that hour mark to share and say, this is how long I was without power or without water. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's good for us to process all this, to share, to talk about going, you know, for me, it was in the midst of it. Man, that anxiety was high and and at points higher than I think I had experienced in a long, long time. But on the other side of it, and with some, you know, the fact that my pipes didn't burst, the fact that we were able to make it across the ice to my in-laws and stay warm, and then make it back and shut off the heaters that we had plugged in and forgotten to unplug, you know, I look back and I go, wow, we made it. All that anxiety was for nothing. But then I read the news stories and look and say, but that wasn't true for everyone. Some people have lost a lot. Some people did have pipes burst. And it's a minor inconvenience and they're waiting for insurance to come in and take care of it. 
But there were also people who died, and there were people who have had homes ruined. There's people who didn't have water for days. And as we've talked about the way of Jesus, as we're in this time period of Lent, and we're going through, the fancy word is the pericopes, it's just the assigned readings that walk through the life of Jesus as he goes towards the cross, we're talking about the way in which he does that. And today, we talk about the way of suffering. And I think for me, what I realized as I looked at all of us talking about the hours we were without power or water. It's a way for us to express that suffering we encounter. And I do think it's important for us to look and say, there are levels of suffering, right? This morning as we came in here, I made sure the key to this facility, which the city of Georgetown trusted me with because apparently I'm trustworthy, I clipped it and now it's stuck, but here we go, clipped it onto my key ring. Why? Who has lost keys and then successfully taken three days to find them? And I'm like, I've got this key. This is my only key to this facility. It's going on my key ring. And I would, I would argue and say that there is a level of suffering when you have to get out the door and the one thing you cannot find is your keys and or wallet. Right? You have everything planned out to the time. You're going to be early because five minutes, is on, five minutes before is on time and on time is late, right? So you're ready to be there. You're like, all right, I planned it. I've got, you know, shower, dress, ready to go. And your keys have been stolen because you couldn't have lost them. They've been stolen from the place you set them down. I would say, on a scale, there is a level of suffering when you lose your keys. Be it self-inflicted or not. That you had a plan, you were ready to execute it, you were ready to go, and now that thing is gone. There's a level of suffering to being without power in Texas homes throughout the course of a week. There's a level of suffering to losing a loved one, to encountering disease in your family, to personally running into issues of finances, of health, of relationship. And so the place I want us to start today is to say we can acknowledge that there are levels of suffering. That it's okay for you to be like, I am upset and I am frustrated that I cannot find my keys. My little level of suffering, guys, I had a favorite mask. That's where we are in the pandemic now. It's blue. I did some of my own repairs on it, so I was proud of it. And it sits so perfectly on my face. And somewhere it is throwing a party with all my other lost items. And that's like, I mean, we're talking that's a millimeter onto the scale of suffering. That's not big. But I'm still just frustrated. And it's okay for us to acknowledge that frustration and going, that's annoying. 
you know, in a perfect world where sin had not entered in it, we wouldn't even need masks. But my favorite mask definitely wouldn't be lost. But then we keep going up that scale. And we keep understanding what suffering may be. And none of us want to learn more, right? I think if we all talked about it and voted, we would say, let's stay at the lost keys, lost mask level of suffering. But in this life, we're going to encounter those different levels. What we see Jesus talk about suffering is an interesting, interesting thing. And I want to start first with our gospel reading, which was Jesus and Peter. And we've shared this story before, and I love this story because to me it encapsulates the life of discipleship of following Jesus. Because in the same verses, we have Peter being one of the first people on earth to confess and say, you are the Messiah. That Jesus tosses him the softball and Peter just cranks it out of the park. That when Jesus says, okay, who do they say I am, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, having grown up as a Jewish child in this time period, would have memorized most of the scriptures, would have memorized the promises of the Messiah. So when he looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah, sometimes we can read that and go, yeah, of course, you know, next page. I just try to look my thumb through my mask. Yeah, that's my pointer finger, whatever. You know, we're trying to flip and we just go, yeah, that's, that's what happens, right? We're just on the next page. But Peter here is stepping out boldly and saying, no, those promises we know of old, that one who's to come of the line of David, that child that is born to save us all, that is you. And so he boldly confesses who Jesus is. And within several verses, that all changes because Jesus will say and look and say, yes. And Jesus, I love it, he does wordplay here. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And so some people would interpret that because Petros in Greek is rock, and so they say, aha, here he is, the first pope. But what Jesus is saying, no, you are Peter, that's who you are. And on that confession that you have just made, on that declaration that I am the Messiah, that is the rock on which I will build my church, that I am the Messiah. And so Jesus basically looks at Peter and says, you got it, man. You passed. And within several verses, Jesus will say, and the Son of Man, the Messiah, has come to suffer and be shunned by the religious leaders, to be put aside. And you've got to understand what's going through Peter's mind because in the process of being a young Jewish person at that time, the greatest of the great, those who excelled in their understanding of scriptures and in their memorization, those were the ones who got the opportunity to follow a rabbi. But Peter had gone into the family business of fishing, so he had missed that. But now here he was following a rabbi who had called him off the water to follow. And so Peter looks and says, I'm making it. I'm doing it. And so when Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah, Peter's like, boom. 
Not only did I make the right rabbi, I got A plus number one. And then Jesus says, yeah, and what I'm going to do is suffer and die at the hands of the religious elite. And Peter goes, that's not my plan. Listen, Jesus, I thought about this. I had been a fisherman, but now we're here. You know, literally started from the bottom. Now we're here, like we're doing it, Jesus. We're making it. And so there's this aspect where Peter looks and goes, no, 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 Jesus, suffering is bad. We don't want to do suffering. Let's do celebration. Let's focus on the good stuff. To the point where Jesus turns around on him and says, get behind me, Satan. From the moment of your confession is what I will build the church on to you are parroting the enemy in front of me. Because we as humanity don't want to suffer. We don't want to. And that's okay for us to say. Listen, I'm not going to stand up here this morning and say, I hope you all walk out of here and just pray that the Lord would make you suffer. Don't do that. But instead, as we look at suffering and we remember the teachings of Jesus where he says, to his disciples, no servant is greater than his master. So if I suffer, you're going to suffer. What I love about Jesus and who he is, is he never denies reality. It would be easy enough for him to paint a great picture of everyone who follows him just having the best life ever. But instead he goes, listen, no, knowing me, it's not going to take away your suffering. It's not going to pull you away from this world. But instead, when you suffer, I will be there. In our reading from the book of Romans, Paul writes and says, suffering produces character and character produces hope. And that's a section of Scripture I've always struggled with. But I feel like the older I get, the more I have minor or major or somewhere in between sufferings, I learn more and more how that works. That Jesus isn't here to pull me out of the suffering. He's here to join me in it. That because I follow him doesn't mean I get a free pass, but instead it means that when I encounter suffering, he makes himself known more. Not always immediately, not always when I want it, but he ends up, in, in my experience, God shows off when I'm suffering in the best ways possible. So suffering produces character. Character produces hope. Because we look at that same verse in Romans in one of my favorite pieces of Scripture, Romans 5.8. While we were still, our translation today said weak. But if you look at the Greek there, it's while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, the good news is that even as Jesus looks and says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, 
that does not stop his march to the cross for Peter. That even as we as human beings want to seek the path of least resistance, want to seek comfort over everything else, Jesus says, I came to die for you now. Not when you're better, not when you've got it all together. No, when you're falling apart, I came for you just as much that day as on your best day. And so for us, when we talk about the way of suffering, it's not about seeking it out. That's this weird thread that has entered the Christian mind, which is, oh, if I am suffering, it proves I am a Christian. And so then I seek out ways to be and find suffering, ways to see and find persecution. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, no, you know, following me is just seeking suffering and that suffering proves that you're following me. No, he's saying, listen, this life will have suffering. You can't get around it. But I will suffer to walk alongside you. I will go to the cross and die to be there with you when you do. And it's in those moments that we see the power of suffering. Not that it's something we seek, but it's something that we grow in the midst of. That Paul would write, in this dark world, in this present darkness, as we encounter it, that Jesus is there with us. It won't always end how we want it to, but Jesus says, I'm still with you. It means we don't have the answer for suffering. I wish I could stand up here and logically explain to you why five days into his birth, I lost a brother. I wish I could stand up here and tell you this is why God did all that. But here's the thing, I don't want to. I want to look and say, someday I will see my brother Seth in heaven and he will be perfected. And we will talk and we will laugh and we will rejoice in the Lord. But you can't explain away that kind of suffering. You can't look at parents and say, if only you'd had a little more faith. If only you had done this. No, Jesus says there will be suffering. Some of it will be thrust upon you. Some of it will be of your own doing. But there will be suffering. And know that I walk with you because the Son of Man came to suffer for our sake. And so as we follow the way of Jesus, we live it in the real world where there is suffering. We don't deny that fact. We don't put on Pollyanna glasses and go, everything is perfect. We rejoice in the Lord because we say He is perfect. And He will step down and join us in this place. That we can rejoice that one day He will come again. One of my favorite uh, songs, a buddy of mine from high school wrote, and it was right after his mom had suddenly passed away. And it's a song he writes 
uh, to his grandfather who's in heaven. So his grandfather's already passed, but a man who had a big impact on his life. And as he sings and he says, Grandfather, what's it like? And my buddy Jason does this great job of explaining the new heavens and the new earth, this place where we get to all come together again, where there will be no more tears, where there will only be joy. And he asks this question out of his suffering. He says, Grandfather, is my mother there too? And finally, in his grandfather's voice, he writes this moment where he says, your mother is just over there. She is singing and rejoicing. You see, we suffer now for a little bit because one day we will never suffer again. We suffer now for a little bit because there are people in and amongst our lives who do not have the hope that we have. Today, I'll sit down with our confirmands and talk about baptism. And one of the questions that's asked is, is, well, when I'm baptized, why don't I just, you know, pop straight up to heaven? And the answer is because Jesus has purpose for us here. That our lives have meaning now, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of imperfection. Jesus joins us here. So I don't have a perfect answer for why we suffer. I don't have a perfect answer for suffering you're going through and why it's happening. I do know there are examples in Scripture that say, don't own it yourself. Just go read the book of Job. Job saves some of his friends because they show up and go, Job, look at all these bad things that have happened to you. How did you sin? He goes, I don't think I did. And by the end of the book, God's ready to smite his friends because they've just kept singing that chorus over and over. And Job saves them through his prayers of saying, Lord, they don't know better. We can't answer the why of suffering except to say we live in a fallen world. What we can answer is that in this fallen world, the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, would look and say, I will not leave you there alone. And he would step down and join us in this place. So there are all kinds of levels of suffering. There are all kinds of things we will encounter. But in the midst of it all, we have a God who looks at us and says, at just the right time, I suffered for you. So that as you walk this earth, as you encounter those sufferings, you are not alone. And in fact, your identity is as a son or daughter of God. That you belong to me. And then in fact, I will take the bad and evil things of this world, the things that hurt and are broken, and I will work them towards character and hope. As I look at suffering, there's a verse in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis as Joseph looks at all the suffering he's encountered in his life. And as his brothers are worried that he will now, in his position of power, kill them, And he looks at them and says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. You may not see it now. You may not see it till your deathbed. 
You may not see it until we are all returned again when Jesus comes. But suffering produces character, and character produces hope because the Son of Man would step down and suffer for us. Let's pray. Lord, in this room, there are levels of suffering. And Lord, we know that in this life, this beginning of the life eternal, before we rest in you and then once again walk in the new heavens and new earth, that we will suffer. But Lord, don't let us seek suffering. Instead, let us see that when suffering happens, you are with us. Lord, may we learn to suffer in such a way that produces character and hope because you walk alongside of us. Lord, let us seek after you in all we do. And Lord, may you turn our suffering into hope. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen.